Welcome to your Active Stack Brief podcast. My name is Luca Bertuzzi, your technology editor. This week, we take a closer look at the upcoming economic recession and how it will impact the tech sector. For an overview on all things technology in the EU, sign up for our free newsletter or visit the website youractive.com. This is your Active Tech Brief podcast. Today, I'm joined by Cheng Ying Lin, Affiliate Professor of Strategy at the Business School INSET. Hi, Cheng Ying. Hello, Luca. Glad to be here. And we are glad to have you. So um, we have heard in the past weeks uh, about big tech companies preparing for a recession in the US and elsewhere. This is like uh, a topic that a lot of people are talking about, but not many are seeing. When are, can we expect this recession to eat and with what effects for the tech sector? I think the, it's a very interesting question. I think now we see multiple things happen uh, recently. Uh, first, with uh, uh, Elon Musk taking over Twitter. And we have, uh, before that, launch of the metaverse and more recently, the rise of ChatGPT. So everyone basically turned their eyes towards tech. At the same time, we also see this big layoff stream by the major tech companies, including Microsoft, Google, Netflix, etc. Um, I think um, the prediction of the recession will be a really difficult one. I think the central bank is working on it, economists are working on it, and the executives certainly around the world is working on it. It's Although it's difficult to predict when is it going to happen, what we can expect, right, um, is the overall so slowdown of the tech sector. Um, but the, on the other hand, the China rejoining the global economy could be another boost that brings some of the growth back. And then India, as we all know, started to grow significantly as well. Uh, so we basically, um, it becomes rather uncertain to see when and how hard the recession is going to hit. But I think the tech movement is part of the movement that many of the industry leaders and company leaders are preparing for a potential of a recession. And since you mentioned China, I think that's an interesting point. Uh, We have seen the Biden administration sort of expanding an export control uh, policy initiated by by Trump. Um, Do you think that these uh, new sanctions aimed at crippling uh, China's uh, technological sector uh, will deepen a recession? So it is very interesting. Um, Certainly, we... I'm in a strategy professor. We've been looking at strategy for a long time. And geopolitical and global uh, tension is part of the broader macro environment we look at uh, for economic development before company or industry grows. And the recent tension, what we've basically seen is the tug of war between the superpowers, the economic superpowers, where China has significant growth prior to COVID time. And and U.S. has been sort of the dominant uh, number one economy globally. So there's this tension on who is going to take the realm of the number one uh, global economy in terms of overall GDP. And part of what the policy we're seeing and even uh, the political statement is sort of that process of of the economic power struggle. Um, I think that the 
um, COVID, um, and also uh, the tension between the two superpowers have probably a more broad impact around industry, such as tech, but also beyond. Uh, so what it means is China has been a uh, important source for rare minerals and uh, and those components sort of for uh, electronics devices. And it has been a manufacturing center being mainland and also Taiwan um, being a part of the suppliers of, of, of this broader global supply chain. And therefore, a lot of these global geopolitical tensions will have continuous impact around that. Um, the important thing is to look from the company side, what has companies started to do? Um, around COVID time and even coming out of COVID, companies started to build uh, more regionalized and different ways of, of a supply chain structure. And we're also thinking globally, how do we look at the raw minerals um, um, in terms of raw material, but also the recycling of some existing uh, uh, product that, that go into the waste. And therefore, you are going to see in the next few years, the industry is rethinking about the supply chain from a global perspective, and also from a way of business model, like more recycling, reuse, etc. Uh, so this could have a fundamental impact to the tech industry in general, um, and that will become part of the game. Since you're mentioning COVID, I think that is when we have seen uh, tech companies, especially big tech, uh, reaching an all-time high in terms of market capitalization. And so wasn't it sort of natural to see their stock market go down in, in the past month? And do these layoffs mean that uh, they overestimated the market and, and they didn't uh, look at the fact that it was probably going down after COVID. So um, that's a great point. It's, it's uh, the continuous challenge for companies to look at growth. <laughs> and nobody have a crystal ball. It's very difficult to look into growth and company basically uh, has to use historical uh, performance and, and a bit of a forecast to, to actually see where the growth is going. The lay current layoff is quite complex and it pretty much had three layers. Number one, as you mentioned, is the significant growth at the beginning and even extended to during the COVID time, right? Uh, so that is very interestingly globally when a lot of the manufacturing companies um, see uh, a, a production challenge during the COVID because of quarantine regulations, et cetera, um, the tech industry in general see a increase because all of a sudden everyone needs to take a computer home. We, did, we started to watch more TVs um, and kids need to, uh, to watch a different channel. Um, and we also started to order a lot of um, uh, essential goods online. And therefore, that significant growth sort of fueled the tech sector during the COVID time. And the second layer is um, basically around talent, right? So to fuel these uh, grows, but tech companies really need to tap into the already scarce uh, high-tech talent in terms of data analytics, programmers, etc. And therefore, during COVID time, they spend a lot of effort really recruiting this talent in anticipation of the continuous growth. Um, what is interesting is post-COVID, when the, uh, the quarantine regulations uh, re uh, eased and when people started to travel again, Companies are very optimistic about the continuous growth, right? Because all of a sudden you opened 
omni-channels, you have new ways to engage with the consumers directly. A lot of the industry is actually looking at a continued, if not increased, growth post-COVID within what we call the new normal. Unfortunately, right, some of the recent event happens with the war, with the supply chain uh, challenge, with the energy crisis, uh, and also with the inflation, and that growth wasn't materialized. And therefore, much of what we see as the layoff um, is the readjustment of that uh, projection, basically saying growth was not as anticipated. We have hired a lot of talent, and that um, we have to adjust based on the new growth rate. So a lot of these really is a perfect storm that leading to what we see currently. But I do want to call out one thing that caused uh, the, the media attention a lot, which is Twitter. <laughs> and that we have to consider that both as part of this broader movement, but also a idiosyncratic event because of the Elon Musk movement and the way he, he trying to turn around Twitter's uh, challenging business model very quickly. And that causes a lot of the, the layoff within Twitter. And therefore, broadly, there is a readjustment of the growth uh, for tech industry. Uh, there is a readjustment of the talent strategy that causes the majority of it. But some of the events like Twitter uh, would be, at least in my view, considered as idiosyncratic. Uh, is this adjustment structural or is it just a short-term fluctuation? Because we have already seen uh, some commentators saying um, this might lead to a sort of a democratization of talent distribution that so far was so concentrated in a few companies. Um, what's your view on that? So let me offer a few uh, directions or, or perspectives to look at this. And, and some of them are actually contradicting uh, and that's or going into different directions. And that's why makes the prediction rather difficult. Um, this could be a bit of a structural in terms of business model. Um, so many of the company, as we know, for example, Facebook has been about, uh, struggling about their, their, their business model over the years, right? So the purpose of the company is making connections between people and among people, but a lot of the revenues are actually coming from advertisement. And as the preferred mode of exchange or connection moved across generations with different age groups from text-based to image-based to short video-based, and we do see um, Twitter, uh, sorry, we do see Facebook started to struggle to keep up with the pace, right? Um, and then even some of the, the acquisition um, may cause a lot of disturbance in the field and people start to question Facebook's ability to continue to evolve with the user base and continue um, the sustainability of their business model. So that could be structural and that's not only Facebook, many of the digital providers uh, started to face that challenge. How much can you use data and what data can do and how much additional value can you capture uh, from, from the data you have? On the other hand, this could be temporary, right? So as we mentioned, this is partly because of the growth adjustment the growth may slow down for the industry, but in the short term, at least I don't think it's going to go negative growth. So the, 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 comp, uh, the industry is continuing growing, it's just at a slower pace. 
And then you come to a broader talent strategy. Yes, I think the lure of these top talent firms are very significant for the talent market. And there was historically a shortage around this high-tech talent pool. But many of the industries and many of the countries has paid a lot of attention to it. So we do see the, the labor market started to adjust this. And we also see within the companies, there's reskilling, there's upscaling to really build up the talent pool around digital and around technology in general. So we could see the ease of those over the years. But one thing it is very important uh, to point out is the growth will likely, especially in digital and tech, come outside of the tech industry itself. Right? We see the digitalization of the, the consumer world, and now digitalization is also going into the B2C, the service and industrial world. And that's going to be very significant. And therefore, what I encourage to say is, yes, although the sector has been uh, laying off talent, the talent would have a place to go if you look broadly into industrial and other sectors. I wanted to go back to the, to the question of the business model, because the, this, I think, is the course of the matter for a lot of companies. So you have mentioned uh, Meta, Twitter, and I would also add, you know, social media in general, they seem to uh, not uh, having very positive prospects. But turning this uh, upside down, which are the companies you expect to recover the fastest uh, from the recession? Um, so it, it will be very interesting to look at uh, deeply at their business model, right? So um, we have to dissect company by company and say, okay, what is their main activities that companies are producing? Um, and also, where do they actually capturing the value? I think there has been a lot of hype around uh, the data itself. Um, uh, once you have the data, the assumption is then you're going to capture a lot of value out of it. But over the years, when both the consumer goods and also the, uh, the industrial sector started to look at the data, we realized data do provide the value added, but there's also a limitation to what data can provide. And then as more of the companies started to build their internal capabilities, um, they were actually able to capture some of the value from the data themselves. And now the consumers are also waking up to basically say, um, I, I would give up my data in exchange for um, convenience, but that has to have a limitation. <laughs> and therefore we do see now a broad renegotiation of the value capture within the data. Uh, and therefore, without giving a, 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 a name, it's really the game is around how do company very clearly and carefully look at their data strategy, look at where they capture the value. The company who can continue to innovate and then manage that value very carefully with the consumers, with the end users, would ultimately win out in the long game. And I would also add that regulators have waken up to to the question of data in terms of, uh, especially data protection in the EU. I would say, um, but just continuing this hype now, it seems that uh, the metaverse has replaced mm -hmm. data as the new hype in the tech world. Uh, meta, among others, but. Obviously, Meta's leap of faith in the metaverse is more visible since they changed the company name. 
Um, it also means uh, it has exposed uh, the the company uh, to uh, this to this new technology, which we know relatively little about. So, how do you think the upcoming resections and and everything we have mentioned until now, geopolitical tensions, uh, talent uh, uh, reshuffling, will affect this move into the metaverse? That's a great question. I think um, I can also throw in another <laughs> term, which has been really talked a lot about is ChatGPT. Um, I think I would put both into the categories of the experimentation. Um, so with all the challenges Facebook facing with the aging user base, with the challenge in, in business model, with the move um, into new uh, communication uh, format, I think Meta is a, is a very nice experimentation that Facebook runs to say, how can we create almost a parallel universe uh, so we can interact digitally? And, but broadly, the importance of Meta is to say, how do we actually live in this hybrid world? And that is what many of the brands um, participating in Meta and many of the technology companies and even the consumers um, are basically considering about and, and exploring. I think that's where the exciting part, um, ex uh, instead of putting Meta into a new business model or a new product line, I tend to look at it as a worthy exploration to see where the future could be. Um, ChatGPT is another example, right? And now it becomes a global phenomenon. Everyone is trying to see what ChatGPT can do and it also restarted a lot of conversation within the company to say what AI can do for my business. Um, and once again, this is a great starting point as experimentation. Um, what is going to happen very quickly is how can we take these type of technology and find use cases that's meaningfully both creating value for the consumer and also allow companies to capture additional value. So we create a win-win-win situation. And I think for both technology, that is still a bit far uh, from, from being realized. I would like to turn our eyes to Europe now. Um, there is a sort of consensus that Europe missed the trains uh, in terms of uh, business to consumer. Uh, digital services. We are now seeing uh, European industrial policy very active, uh, especially in terms uh, of uh, data strategy, trying to leverage um, uh, Europe's uh, large industrial base um, to develop B2B uh, data-driven services. So Keeping in mind everything that we have discussed until now, how successful do you think uh, Europe uh, can be in um, sort of ramping up its uh, tech sector in the coming years? I think there is a real opportunity for Europe and, and here are a few sort of advantages. Um, Number one is in the consumer world, it does move very quickly. That gives uh, US and China a lot of opportunity to leapfrog. And Europe takes a lot more cautious way uh, in proceeding um, 
people have discussed in long time about GDPRs and consumer protection, and now you have um, the Digital Marketing Acts um, and etc. So uh, Europe took a very strong moral stance around this. I think that could become beneficial when it comes to um, industrial sector for digitalization and also sustainability, quite frankly. Uh, I, I think um, and that you companies do have the power and the regulators and policymakers do have the advantage to set the standard um, for others to participate. And, and I think from that end, uh, you could take a lead around that. And the second advantage um, is Europe do have a very strong talent pool. Right? If you look at uh, the attention to digital talents, um, both hardware and software, uh, Europe, uh, within Europe, France, Germany, um, um, Italy, so, so many, uh, Spain, many other con countries have been sort of working on that from a government uh, policy and from education sector and also for industrial sector. Um, so there is a real, real opportunity for this talent to actually unleash what they have learned technologically into the business setting. Um, and very differently sort of from um, the consumer sector, right? So we've seen the rise of Microsoft and part, partly Microsoft's rise in the B2C world is their attention to cybersecurity, their attention uh, to data protection and their ability sort of to operate. So if you take that analogy and look into uh, the, um, at a continental level, yes, Europe, with the strong attention to data protection and, and cybersecurity could sort of leapfrog. At the same time, I think we also need to be very cognizant about the trade-off we're making. <laughs> um, the trade-off in the US is because uh, they open up rather quickly, they let the innovation drive, therefore the data structure and data access is more ubiquitous um, and richer over there, and that gives the business a lot of opportunity to leverage those data lakes and data pools. And it will take Europe both from the investment and also from a procedural side to continue to build that data infrastructure in order for the, uh, the industrial sector to sort of flourish. Um, and that may be right uh, to Europe's disadvantage, and, and we just need to be very cognizant about those challenges. Cheng Yi Lin is Affiliate Professor of Strategy at the Business School INSET. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's a great pleasure. That's all we got time for this week. Don't forget to sign up to our free Tech Brief newsletter to stay on top of tech news and digital policy developments in the EU and beyond. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast published on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and Amazon Music. This episode was produced with the technical help of Evi Chiotti, I'm Luca Bertuzzi and thank you for listening.